is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. All right, everybody, welcome to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. And on this episode, you are going to meet Bob Quillen from Quillen Brothers Windows. I met Bob very recently through my good friend, Tony Hody. And um, Bob really has a fantastic business. And we there's a lot to learn from Bob. So um, I've asked him to come on today. And our, our main focus is going to be on the subject of profitability, profitability, making money in the home improvement business, which hopefully you want a lot more of, more profitability. So, Bob, welcome to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the invite. Give everybody the, the two-minute version of your of your story. Well, as, as uh, Brian had said, my name is Bob Quillen. I own Quillen Brothers Windows in Bryan, Ohio. Um, I started my career right out of high school in the Marine Corps. I served eight years in the Marine Corps, and I loved every minute and every second of it. I ended my last two years as a drill instructor and really enjoyed that portion of it as well. Um, to prove that God has a sense of humor, I went from being a Marine Corps drill instructor to an insurance salesman. I have no idea how I landed up in insurance sales, but I did. I seemed to do extremely well. I made the top 10%, got a lot of trophies and a lot of awards. The only thing they forgot to do was pay me along the way. <laughs> and so I landed myself into the home improvement business in 1995. I was promoted pretty quickly as a sales trainer and sales manager. I enjoyed my tenureship. However, the owner and I were like oil and water. We did not mix. So I, you know, I found myself feeling like I was an 18-year-old kid again. And at about uh, age 28, going, now what? Now what do I do and who am I going to become? And so I decided to stay with the home improvement business because I loved the business model. I understood it as a business model. But I wanted to clean it up and I wanted to do some things differently. And so I ventured out on my own in 1999 and created Quillen Brothers Windows in a real small town that I was born and raised in, Bryan, Ohio, where we have about 8,000 people. And it's been a tremendous journey. It's been uh, something that's going to be very memorable, and I appreciate the opportunity today to uh, serve and help out however I can. Cool. So it's been 18 years that you've been in the home improvement business. What does is, what is your company look like today? How many people, how many jobs did you do last year? I employ about 14 to 15 people, and then I have uh, two, I mean, I'm sorry, we have three two-man install crews. So if you take it all together, we're about 20-some people underneath the Quillen Brother umbrella. We did 583 jobs last year. Wow. And we netted about $4.3 million. Wow. 583 jobs. That's a, lot of, uh, that's a lot of production with 25 people, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. About 20 people, actually. So, you know, one of the things that, that you know, you and I – became, um, you know, real quick friends was <laughs> we had this discussion about about profitability and how so many people in the home improvement business just either don't know how to make money in the business or 
they get in their own way of making money in the home improvement business. And one of the things that I've been going around and telling people for the last year is that the minimum net profit that your business should deliver to you after you have been paid for every job you do in your business is 10%. 10%. A lot of people aren't even at that. They're not even at 10%. Some people look at me sideways and I'll say to them, well, I know people that do a whole lot better than that. And you can or can't, you know, you can, you can choose to share or not share, but I know that you're significantly higher than that. Has it always been that way? Yes, it has, Brian, because I only know one way. And so what I share being transparent, I'm not trying to step on any toes. I'm not trying to offend anybody. If anything, I'm trying to lift their lid and give them hope and possibly show them that there's a better lifestyle out there. I started my company in 1999. I was introduced to an accountant um, right away who has a specialty for this business. And when he sat down and put my business plan together with me, with my lawyer, he gave me a benchmark report on a P&L statement that this is what you need to follow. And he basically told me in 1999, he said, Bob, if you don't make 20% or better as your bottom line profit after you pay yourself, you probably want to cash it in and go to work for someone else. And so I was young, dumb, and naive. And I believed everything he said. And so for the last 18 years, I've been a really good student. I've been a sponge. I am under his mentorship. And I have lived that lifestyle since, you know, year one. I've made 20% or above every year. Uh, last year, 2017, our bottom line profit was 24%. And I've been as low as 20% and as high as 27%. But 20% is my, you know, it's my benchmark. It's what I was told to do. It's what I was, I was taught how to do it. And so I only know of one way. I think that was an advantage because what I have found out, and I know Brian has found out a lot more than I have because he's had a lot more consulting time, is this industry is made up really of, of two or three different types of people. The first person is a really good salesman who's a hot shot salesman and basically looks at the company that he's working for as the only reason they're successful is because of him. And so he, he or she gets disgruntled and they decide to go out and start their own business. And they're very, very good in sales. They may be mediocre when it comes to marketing, but they usually know nothing about the back end and they don't understand the business model. They don't understand all the matrices that it takes to make it work. And so they go out and they can sell a lot of business, but you know they struggle on the back end and they struggle at keeping the business profitable because they, they, their thought process, well, you just got to sell more business. You got to put more mud on the wall. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have your contractor out there who's a really good carpenter. He's a skilled tradesman. He's outstanding at attention to detail. And he thinks that the company that he works for is only successful because of him. And so he ventures out and creates his own home improvement company. So he's very strong on the back end. He's very good at installation and customer satisfaction and craftsmanship and job well done. But he knows very, very little about the sales aspect, the marketing aspect, and the business aspect. And so as I've heard different people such as Tony Hody say, one of those two people seem to have an entrepreneurial seizure and decide that they're going to become a business owner. Well, as a business owner, you have to juggle a lot of divisions. You have to juggle an advertising and a marketing division. You have to juggle a call room center. You have to juggle sales. You have to juggle your finance, your installation, your service. And then you have to make your business profitable. 
And so unless you, you know, we're not born with this. We're not, you know, we're not, we don't come out of the mother's womb with a business degree. And so you really have to have a business partner or a business accountant that can kind of give you some guidelines and benchmarks to follow. And then you just have to be a really good student and have childlike faith that you're listening to the right people. Yeah, I that was one thing about your story that was um, that really struck me is that you started off not knowing any better. So somebody basically told you, okay, here's the benchmark. And you just said, okay, that's the benchmark. You didn't know any different. And I think what happens is, unfortunately, you know, most business owners get in and they don't have that set benchmark. And so they go and they kind of flail around and and hope that at the end of the year, there's going to be some money left over. Whereas if you started off with a structure of this is how you you uh, run this business so that you are this profitable. What are some of the things that that you've learned over the years? I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy to make money in a business, in any business. Um, and it's certainly not easy to maintain profitability for as long as you have. What are some of the top things that you've learned over the years or that you've implemented over the years that have kept you um, profitable all of these years? Well, one of the things is, is I have to go back to the beginning, <clears throat> Brian, and I got to think about why did I ever want to move from the employee quadrant that Robert Kiyosaki talks about in his cash flow quadrant book. And why did I want to go into either the self-employed or business owner quadrant? So I had to ask myself, why do I want to start my own business? And I think most of us, if we're business owners, we all have the same reasons. They may be a little bit different. I mean, you know, if you ask all of us what's our definition of success, we'll all have a different definition. But we also always have same common denominators. Most of us want to have fun. We want to enjoy our work. I mean, we got to think about it. If you own a business and you're putting 40 to 50 hours a week in it, you're spending 35, maybe up to 40% of your living hours in the work environment. And so one of the first things we always say is we, we got to have fun. We must enjoy what we're doing. But we also want to make money. And we want to make a difference. We want to impact our community. We want to impact our family. We want to impact our employees. And, you know, long-term goals, we want to buy our time back. We want to earn some freedom. We want to have an equal balance of both time and money. Some of us want to get out of debt. Some of us want to travel. Some of us want to become more financially free and have different lifestyle options. And so I think one of the things important in being a good business owner is keeping your own dream alive, is keeping your own reason why alive. And one of the things that I say when I hire people is, I really don't care about your trade skills right now. I want to know your why. Because if you can show me somebody that has a big why in life, if they have a big, what I call BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, I can teach them how to do a lot of things. But if somebody comes in my organization and they know how to do something, but they don't know why, they're not driven by a dream goal or an end result, sometimes those people are the hardest to lead and the hardest to teach. And so I'm always looking for that hungry hippo, I call him. I'm always looking for the person who wants to elevate to the next level. And so even as a business owner, we have to build our own dream. We have to build our own goal constantly. We've got to be thinking about what it is we're trying to obtain. But then it can't just be selfish. I mean, that just has to be the catalyst. That's, that's what has to ignite the fire. But then you have, a, you have to have a passion, you know, 
to, to do the things that you said you wanted to do. You have to be passionate about having fun and making money and making a difference and buying back your freedom and giving the options. And so it's just really starting with why did I start it and what do I want to accomplish long term? And, 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 you know, keeping that in focus, staying focused on the bigger reason. And, you know, as far as getting profitable and maintaining profitable, one of the things that I found to be very effective is you got to inspect what you expect. So if you don't know what your marketing cost is, if you don't know what your ticket cost is, your lead cost is, if you don't know what your sales cost is or your install, well, how do you know it ever to be profitable? So you have to have a good business system set up internally, and you have to understand where all your costs are at all times because, you know, it's innocent ignorance. None of us wake up in the morning and say, my desire is, you know, at the end of 40 or 50 years is to be broken, disgusted. We all want to be profitable. We all want to have a nice, a nice lifestyle. But we have to monitor it along the way. There has to be benchmarks. There has to be grade cards. There has to be checkpoints. And so knowing what those checkpoints are and then inspecting your business every 30 days to ask yourself, where am I weak? Where am I strong? Where am I too high? Where am I too low? And just staying focused on it. It has to be a 30-day game plan. It can't be a once-a-year game plan. Yeah, good advice. Do you mind sharing a little bit of your why? Well, my reason why was I come from a very structured, disciplined environment, a very clean image, the Marine Corps. I got into the insurance business, and I was blessed enough to be with an insurance company that had an impeccable reputation. And image was very important. You know, you got to look good, smell good, be professional. You, you have to be a person of character. And then I dipped my toe into the home improvement business, and I was so overwhelmed. And I don't want to offend anybody here, but my experience, it was a very shady business. It was some very shady sales practices. They were some very shady things and, and, and daily routines that happened. And I just didn't care for it. I almost felt like maybe this wasn't for me. And so after four years and deciding to leave the company that I was with, I decided to take some time off and decide now what. And I kept looking at the business model. And I thought, you know, this is an awesome business model. You have very, very little you know, accounts receivable. You turn your cash flow every 21 days, a lot of times, or 30 days. There were so many positives that I've seen about this business. And so my biggest reason for starting this business was, I said, what if I went back to my grassroots? What if I build a business that follows the laws of God and follows the laws of man, putting the customer first? And so I started looking at what people consider as industry standards. And I started saying, you know, I'm going to increase the standard in marketing. I'm going to increase the standard in our call room. I'm going to increase the standard when it comes to closing percentages. And so I think my driving passion, Brian, is I've always wanted to be known as the fifth third of the home improvement. I don't necessarily have to be the biggest. I just want to be known as the best. You walk into the headquarters of the fifth third bank. You feel like you've walked into a palace. You feel like you've walked into an environment that smells and breathes success. So a lot of home improvement companies that I get an opportunity to go travel and help and sit down with, they're not that way. They're in an old beat up building. They're in an industrial park. Their building is dirty. You would never probably want the public in it. And so I've always wanted to, no matter what, what whether I wear the shoes I wear, the clothes that I wear, the vehicle that I drive, the building that I own, I want it to represent excellence. I want it to represent success. And if you've ever had a chance, Brian, to come to our building, you will see that. I mean, we have 24,000 square feet that is, you know, first class. It looks like you just walked into the corporate headquarters of the Fifth Third Bank.
customer, every employee to realize this is a money-making opportunity. This is a life-changing industry. And we represent excellence in everything that we do. And one of the things that I talk about a lot when I'm going around and I'm doing workshops and putting on events is that without profit, you can't do any of those things. You can't deliver the customer the experience that they deserve. You can't hire the best people and you can't. And the best people, you know, it's one thing to bring on mediocre people, which, you know, all of us have done that. And some of the people listening probably have mediocre people working for them. But I love what you're saying is that you want your people to walk into a first class environment, an environment that breeds breeds T-H-E-S and breeds E-E-D-S success. I think that's, yeah. I think that's awesome. Um, by the way, I saw, a, I saw a picture recently of you handing out some awards. Was that in your office? Yeah. What was behind you? A life-size rhino. <laughs> so I saw that and I thought, man, that is really cool. What's the story behind the life-size rhino? And where is it in your well, building? It's well, you come in my foyer, and then you got to have bobs and everything to get through the, the front doors to get to the work environment. Okay. And we have a big showroom, we have a big open showroom area. And this is a life size rhino that, that stays right there because our company mascot is the rhinoceros. Okay. I read a book a long, long time ago by Scott Alexander called Rhino Success, Rhinoceros Success. And I just loved it. It, it. You know, he wrote a book that was easy to read. It was fun loving. It, it made you feel proud to be a rhino. You know, he, he makes fun of cows. He says that, you know, they're fat, lazy, slothful. <laughs> and <laughs> it just makes you feel like you're somebody special if you're a rhino. And so I love that. You know, I always said a rhino is kind of like a king of a jungle, even though some people say the lion is. The rhino is a very, you know, tenacious animal. And so some of the traits that it takes to be a rhino, you got to have thick skin. You got to have, you know, a tender heart and compassion for others. And so our window is called the Rhino Tough Style, and our glass is called Rhino Tough Glass. We've built everything around being a rhinoceros. Well, wow, that's cool. I, I had I had no idea. I saw that picture and I thought, wow, that is really cool. One of the biggest factors to being uh, having the right level of profitability, and and to me, it's a minimum of ten percent. And in in you know what you were brought up in the business with is it's a minimum of twenty percent. One of the uh, leading factors in whether or not you're going to hit that number or not is price. And so many business owners, not only in the home improvement business, but I, I've worked with with business owners in nearly two dozen different industries. And there's not one that <laughs> does not have an issue with pricing. How do you, how have you always overcome the price issue? Because my guess is you are not anywhere near the cheapest guy in town. You're probably not even mid range. You're probably on the higher end of the pricing. Well, a couple things in mind. First of all, when I got in the business in 1995 until 1999, I had to sell a vinyl window that had a really good heat mirror glass. But our par price, our leaving the house price was $1,401. Oh, wow. So I was introduced into this industry on how to sell value, how to sell quality. 
how to sell return of investment. And so I was brought in and trained for four years, and I was the trainer for three and a half of those four years of how to do that. And so I come into the industry being green, you know, absorbing once again, young, dumb, and naive that, you know, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 in 1995 was the going price of a window. So when I started my own company and Bill told me, these are your matrices, you know, your product and material cost needs to be 25%, you know, your installation and service cost. And he went right down the line. So when I took the cost that I was going to buy my window at, I made my material cost between 20 and 25%. So when I did that, I was able to sell a window for about 875, 900 in 1999 and 2000. And today we average right about 953. And so it's just keeping that cost in line. You know, my my window cost and product cost is, is a multiplier of four to four point five medical yeah. equation. Yeah. So you said you sell value, not price, which is which is the the only way that you can do it. You've got to sell value because you're never going to win on price. Nobody's going to win on price, and that's a real crappy business model. How do you build value? into what you are doing. Can you give us just two or three examples of how you build value into what you're doing? Well, first of all, yes, it's going to start with your, your sales process. It's going to start with your value selling system. You've got to be able to have a, a formulated selling system and follow it, as we call it. Just follow the yellow brick road. The yellow brick road was formed, Brian, before you and I were born. Mm-hmm. And we just have to be really good at plagiarizing and mastering. <laughs> So you have to master the sales cycle. You have to master your sales presentation. But then you also have to have a company structure that supports that story. Sometimes you get really good salesmen that can sell really expensive windows, but then their business structure and their back end doesn't stand up to the levels of expectation. So you've got to make sure that every level of expectation is being met. And so you have to have a good guarantee. You have to have a good service department. You have to respond to your people right away. You know, if, if a customer sends you a message or leaves you a voicemail, never leave your office that day without, you know, clearing your voicemails. You've got to be customer focused. You know, it's funny when our phone rings here in the office and, and I may be walking by a marketing room and, and the phone rings into them. I have two sayings. One, Batman. In other words, that's the bat line. The Batman phone is the most important task of this moment. And then the next thing I say is sometimes when I go back to my Marine Corps days, I'll make a joke and I'll say, freeze, private, freeze. In other words, this whole company stops what it's doing and it answers that phone because that phone call from a customer or a potential customer is the most important task right now. Yeah. And I got that off Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz wrote a book and he calls it WIN. And WIN stands for what's important now, what's important next. Well, everybody knows customers is the lifeblood of the business. So when they call in, they email in. They, you know, send you a, a text or whatever. You got to stop what you're doing, and that's the most important thing. And so it's just creating a culture where it's customers first. Yeah, I love it. So, I, you know, we've got a few minutes left, and I know that you are a, a a big reader. You study, study, and study more, and you're a great implementer. Um, so I'm always curious what are what are the top three books that you would recommend to every entrepreneur that's listening to, to this episode? Well, that's a hard one because it really depends, Brian. You know, I've been an avid reader now for 25 years. I average one book every month and I don't just read it to entertain myself. When I read a book, I read it with a highlighter. I read it with a pen. I take notes. I dissect it. I add notes to it. 
because I'm reading to learn. I'm not reading to read. So it really depends on what aspect of life you're growing into. I mean, if you're interested in your physical health, there's, you know, top three books I probably have for that. If you're interested in your own mindset and your own spiritual journey, I probably have three books for that. Um, you know, personal development, there's three books for that. But, you know, I've had different books at different times really, really stand out to me. The first book I ever read, which was kind of silly, because it was, it was a big book, it was a thick book, and I had never really read a book prior to being 25 years old, was Think and Grow Rich. It was deep, it was philosophical, but it was inspiring. And the first time I read it, I read it because I was told to read it, and I got a lot of motivation out of it, but I had to go back two years later, five years later, and ten years later and reread that book. Because as I grew as a person, I absorbed more information from that book. And so that had an impact on me. Um, there's a book out there by Burke Hedges. It's called You Incorporated, Y-O-U. In other words, they're saying that you yourself are your own business. You've got to treat yourself, your mind, your body, and everything that you do as your own business because really that's what the life is all about anyway. And then another book that I really found myself in was a book by Chuck Gottschall called Simon Says. And what Simon says, the whole thrust of that book that I believe that I got out of it was, you know, the two most important dates to a woman is her birth date and her anniversary date. She wants to be recognized the day she was born. She wants to be recognized the day she gave herself to someone. Else. But for guys, us guys really struggle with this one. The two most important days for a guy is the first one is his birthday. Sure, we all want to be recognized when we were born too. But the second most important date to a guy, and it's a date that most of us never figure out till it's too late, is why was we born? What are we on this earth to do? What is our purpose? What is our mission? And so this book is a book, and it has a couple outlines and some tests and some exercises in it that allows you to identify your likes and your dislikes, what you enjoy doing, what you don't enjoy doing. It allows you to write out your own personal mission statement, your own life purpose statement. And I'm telling you, Brian, the day that I realized what I was good at, what I enjoyed and what I was wired for, it changed my life. Because now I understood every day to get up and follow my passion. And my passions are to lead, teach and inspire. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing in life. If I'm, if I'm raising kids, you know what? It's my responsibility to lead those kids, teach those kids, and inspire those kids. If I'm going to church and I'm, I'm part of a class, lead that class, teach that class, inspire that class. If I'm coaching sports, I'm leading that team and leading those kids, teaching those kids, and inspiring those kids. If I own a business, I'm leading my employees and my team, I'm teaching them, and I'm inspiring. So when I realized Leading, teaching, inspiring was the number three things in my life. I just spend every waking hour chasing that. And that was a life turning point for me. Wow. That's awesome. And that book, that's the Simon Says book. Yep. Simon Says by Chuck Gottschall. Simon Says. I'm going to order that as soon as we're done. Because so I, one of the other things I agree with you. Go ahead. Except about the birthday part. I'm, I'm not into my birthday at all. But... <laughs> but the other date, yes, that one has kind of, I can't put a finger on it, but I'm getting very, very close to it. They say I'm a slow learner. Takes takes It takes me a while. Well, Bob. One of the things I would like to share real quickly if I can, but when I was share with people, I was told to have a 20% bottom line. 
if I could share just real quickly on this podcast what my accountant and my business, you know, mentor pretty much told me to structure my business. So they can they have some buoys and they can have some checkpoints to gauge their business. Your material and your product cost should always be 25% or below. Your installation and your service costs all combined, paying installers, install managers, measures, and service managers, you should be at 12% and below. Your sales and sales manager costs combined should be 14% or low or less. Your marketing costs, I think most of us in the industry are always shooting for a 10 to 12%. So marketing cost is 12% below. And then structuring your overhead and keeping your salaries in check and in line with how big and profitable your business is. So your overhead structure, you know, your supplies, your costs, your phones, your insurances, everything else, plus, you know, the owner's salary, the finance department salary, the admin salary should be 17% or below. And if you do the math and you add all that up, it comes to an 80% cost, which leaves you with a 20% bottom line. Now, not everybody's going to live in that perfect bubble. Some people's marketing cost could be a little bit higher. It could be 15%. Well, that means you're 3% above budget. So if you're 3% above budget in your marketing cost, where are you going to make it up at? Because one of the things that Bill told me was 100% is always going to be 100%. You're never going to squeeze 115% out of 100%. So if you blow it in one area, Let's say your material cost, you can't get it down to 25. The lowest you can get it is 30. Well, that means you're 5% above budget. So somewhere between installation, service, sales, and marketing and overhead, you've got a nickel and you've got to dwindle down 5%. And it's just understanding your cost at all the time. And another thing people need to realize about cost, Brian, it's not how much you sell. Your costs are all based on how much you install. So cash in the bank every 30 days is the starting point that you go back and look at your your metrics of what these costs are. You could sell $500,000 a month, but if you're only putting $300,000 in the cash register, well, all your costs are going to be based on $300,000, not $500,000. So I think it's important to know that. Wow, that was really valuable information there. You know, let me ask you about one that we're up against the clock, but you know, this has been such a great discussion. Let me, if you don't mind, let's, let me ask you one other question before we wrap up. So, you know, the, the name of this podcast is called the wealthy contractor. And the idea behind the wealthy contractor is not only that you are making money in your business, um, but also you're making money in your business that funds your ideal lifestyle but it also creates wealth for you outside of the business. And can you share with us a little bit, because from, from what I know about you, I know you don't spend every penny you make. Can you share with us what you've done over the years? Just a couple things. I know one is you, you, you bought the building that your business is in, which is, a, you know, everybody should aspire to that. Um, but what are some of the other things that you've done to create wealth outside of your your business? Well, one of the things I think we have to get rid of is sometimes when people say money's the root of all evil or money's bad. You know, so many people have a stigmatism or, well, if I make too much money, people are going to think I'm greedy. This is all self-inflicted, limiting belief philosophy. They're not true at all. Money doesn't make you or break you, Brian. Money reveals you. Yep. 
you put money into someone's hands that's greedy, they're going to act greedy. If you put money into someone's hands who are twisted and, you know, mean and dirty with it, that's what it's going to, that's what it's going to reveal. But if you have a humble heart, you have a servant's heart, and you want to make difference in this world, and you want to create a legacy, and you want to help people along the way, and you put money into the person, the right person's hands with the right heart, it's a great tool to help a lot of people. And so we have to get rid of the misconception. Another thing that I have focused on and been taught is to live a debt, debt-free lifestyle. I started my company in 1999. I did not draw a salary for the first four months. I started my company with a, a merely $40,000 home equity loan. But Brian, in four months, I made all that back and I had my home equity line paid for. I have not been in debt as a business since month four. And, and same in my personal life. I believe in you know debt-free lifestyle. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to make enough money to get rid of, you know, um, Dave Ramsey has a lot of teachings. There's several teachings out there, Crown Financial on money management principles. And you just have to follow those money management principles. First thing you got to do is you got to create a slush fund. You got to create a 30 to 60 day, you know, whatever your income is, if it's $6,000 a month, you need to have $6,000 to $10,000 sitting in an account called a hoops account. And all you do is you leave it there in case of an emergency because there's always something in life that's going to happen. Well, then the next thing you do is you start looking at your debt structure. and You do a debt, debt structure snowball effect. You start paying off your debt. After you paid off your debt, well, then the next thing you do is you start paying off your mortgage. And then after you pay off your mortgage, then you start investing. See, too many times people want to invest before they pay off their mortgage or they want to pay off the mortgage before they pay off the credit card. That's all financial backwards. Why would you want to hurry up and pay off your mortgage if you got a 4% interest on when your credit cards and your other debts, you have a 9, 10, 11, 12, 15% interest on? Take your most expensive costs and pay them off first. In your home, your mortgage is probably going to be your lowest interest rate. So that's what's not costing you. That's, that's what's costing you the least amount of interest. But get yourself into a debt-free lifestyle. Because when you're debt-free and you don't have the pressure of, you know, the money weighing you down, you can make decisions with a clear heart and a clear head. Now you're being led by your real you. You're not being led by, you know, the money. You're not driven by the almighty dollar. Yeah. So you make a lot better decisions. You sleep a lot better at night. You help the right people that need help. You make a difference to the people that you feel your heart says you need to make a difference to. And, and you're living out your true purpose. Wow. Well, there you go, everybody. That is the embodiment of the wealthy contractor. Bob, I, uh, you know, I can't thank you enough for this. You've given us such great information. I look, I every so often on these episodes, um, I recommend you go back and you listen to to this episode in particular again. And you may want to listen to it a few times because I took some notes here and there are a bunch of nuggets in here. And each time I think you listen to it, you're going to hear something a, a little bit different. You know, always remember success leaves clues. Bob just left um, us, you know, gave us about 40 minutes of really, really fantastic clues. Well, Bob, I think that your three um, lead, teach, and inspire, I think you did all three of those on this episode. And again, I thank you very much for taking the time to do this. 
everybody else, this is Brian Kaskavalsian, G4 Marketing Group. Until next time. All right, so that's it for today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a new way? Did it spark an idea or ideas you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. Now, before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. And a favor. I'd really appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a review of this podcast. Let us know how we're doing. The Wealthy Contractor Podcast is brought to you by G4 Marketing Group, where we help contractors of all kinds create customers, keep customers, and multiply their customers and profits. If you're interested in reaching new levels of success for your company, visit www.gfourmarketing.com or just call us at 305 305- 856-8788 to schedule your free, no obligation, wealthy contractor strategy session. Now, during this strategy session, we're going to look at eight key performance factors in your business, and we're going to help you uncover opportunities for growth, for leads, for sales, and for profit. And finally, We started the Wealthy Contractor as a resource to help you, the home improvement entrepreneur, regardless of where you are on the wealthy scale, get where you want to go. We want to provide you with the motivation, the confidence, the resources, and the tools so you too can live the life of the Wealthy Contractor. Now, the Wealthy Contractor is a place where it's okay for you to want it all. In fact, it's not only okay it's encouraged. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskovalsian with G4 Marketing Group.